Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church family. Hey. You know, the church could do things better. Have you ever had that thought before? Come on, be honest. Uh, yeah, you've had that thought before. Do you ever wish those big polling companies like Gallup Polls and Barna Research would ask you how the church could improve? <clears throat> well, maybe they will someday. Uh, Gallup actually did a poll recently, asked several thousand church attenders this question, what can churches do better? And here are the results I have to share with you right here. Let's take a look at these. The first thing, according to this Gallup survey, is improve communication with members. Hey, that's important, and we definitely always are trying to improve on that. Uh, the second highest was concentrate more on personal spiritual growth. And boy, I hope that you are feeling that. We are very interested in you personally, spiritually growing. Uh, the third was become more involved in community matters. Absolutely, the church is here, planted in this community, to be involved in the community. Four was fo focus more efforts on young people. Sean, there you go. Good job. Hey, <laughs> we're putting a lot into that. Absolutely. Uh, other suggestions on down the list include more social activities, right? We're a church family, and we've got lots of those coming. Um, let's see, more personal contacts between clergy and families. Yeah, we'll talk about that today. Uh, advertise more. Hey, we've been working. Alex is an advertising promotion champion in the office. Good job, Alex. Here's a sign uh, I passed last night, and I stopped to take a picture of it. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to follow this line of promotion. But to advertise more. Um, the last two I'll read are strive for unity, and absolutely, we strive for unity, and finally, stay out of politics. So that sounds like good advice as well. I won't get off on that tangent right now, but uh, that's, that's a list of the top things, what a church could do better. There's lots of other things, but you know, as I read that list this week, I sat amazed because... We're going through the book of Exodus, and the passage that we come to today has all of those things in it, every single one of them. So let's talk about where we are. We're at Exodus 17, verse 8. Please turn in your Bibles with me there right now, and if you didn't grab a bulletin with sermon notes, pen, Chris has those right here. Just raise your hand, and he'll put one of those in your hand, and those help uh, you follow along. And you see on those notes that today the title is a creed for healthy community. Of all the things the nation of Israel has gone through in the book of Exodus, we are learning and gleaning from every single step that they take. Everything that happens to them, that's how the Bible works. It's the holy, living and active, living, breathing word of God, unlike any other book. So it's going to speak to us today. God has been <laughs> miraculously leading the people if you were here a couple weeks ago in our last Exodus message, he's led them into the wilderness, and that was intentional. And we connected with our wilderness seasons in life, which we all have, and we can see God shaping and growing us in those sometimes more profoundly than in any other time in our life. We connected with the Israelites through that. There's all kinds of battles from within, inside of us, and God uses those seasons to shape us, to grow us, to get our attention it was so good, but now they continue in the wilderness, heading towards the promised land. God is trying to get them ready for what he has for their future. And today we arrive here, Exodus 17, verse 8. And we've been saying that all the plagues and the great miracles and the Red Sea crossing and all these great miraculous things, we've been saying for the last few weeks that the bigger challenge was not to set the people free from Egypt, but to what? Get the Egypt out of the people. <clears throat> that means all the things they used to worship, they used to turn to, all the gods that they were familiar with, <clears throat> they needed to be set free from those things and find him as the one true God, the best thing for themselves, the answer to everything, him, the one, the only one that deserves glory. And so in our last Exodus message, God led them to the wilderness, test them with three tests, got their, got their heart, got their attention, got their maturity, 
pointing them to Jesus who fulfills it all. He's the purpose and the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, every single part. Today, God works on their community, which I am terribly excited about because that means God is going to work on our community today. So let's be ready. This is what we have today. This is why I wore the community grace shirt. Thank you for whoever gifted this to me. All right. He's going to show us today, in our text today, three ways, three ways that we, Community Grace, can grow into a healthier community if we follow them. And so we've made it kind of a creed today that we're going to say together at the end of our time. These three points, we will rely on God, on God's power, we'll witness about his glory, we'll share the ministry work together. Let's see what God has to say about these things. The first point is we will rely on God's power. He teaches his people, you have great potential. I have fearfully and wonderfully made you. I've given you a gift mix of all kinds. Once you trust Christ, you're endowed with spiritual gifts as well. You have great potential if you stop relying on your own power. And that's the tricky thing. We can't accomplish a lot of things in our own power, but we realize eventually that that runs out and we get defeated and hit dead ends. He teaches his people this in the wilderness today through an unexpected attack. As we enter verse 8, we come to one of those fun stories in the Bible that sticks with us. It's got some fun details, and we're going to look at that, but I'm going to encourage you now, don't get stuck on the details without and miss the deeper applications that God is speaking to us today in our lives. Let's look at the verses uh, 8 through 13 at this fun story. So all of a sudden, they've gone through the test in the wilderness. God is providing food and water for them. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. It's a surprise attack. Didn't see that coming. What's going on here? Verse 9, so Moses said to Joshua, This is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible. The first mention of General Joshua, and instantly he's very important. So welcome General Joshua. That's what Moses said to him. Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. We've got to fight. We've got to protect our our nation. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill where everybody could see them as leaders. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. How many people have heard that story before? Isn't this a fascinating story? It's like, wow, this is really neat. Let's see what's happening here. Here they are in the wilderness, and they're learning lessons from God, and then, bang, all of a sudden, they're attacked by surprise from an outside enemy. Now, up until this point in the wilderness lessons, the attacks have been coming from the inside. Complaining, grumbling, rebelling, lack of faith, not remembering past deliverance, not remembering promised future, stuck in the now, the inside, the inner turmoil. But now there's an attack from an enemy from the outside, and we learn a whole bunch of new things. Who are these people? The Amalekites were descendants of Esau, they were not God fearers. They saw this group coming toward them with a lot of wealth and not much military. And so they attacked them. And here's a caution for us. We need to be ready for attacks from the inside and from the outside. Because they're coming. They're always coming. Attacks from the outside could include threats or slander. People talk badly about you, us, lies, accusations, and persecution. Anybody who stands for God's truth Yeah, he promises you will be persecuted from time to time or all the time. And he says, but I will be with you in that. And you have the glory of sharing in Christ's sufferings for standing for what's right, for truth. 
So we're ready. With Jesus himself and all the hearers of faith, we say, bring it on. We're ready. Here come the outside attacks. And then we have this fascinating story, and see what God does here. God says, as long as Moses raises his hand with God's staff in it, just think about this, raises his hand with God's staff in it, we will have victory in this fight. This is all very intentional, why it's, why it's in Scripture. In all of our battles, God is teaching us right now, this is our primary strategy. Our hands raised with God's staff in it. We go to him and we rely on his power. That's how we beat attacks from the inside and from the outside. We start here. We rely on God. So don't go through any life's battles, inside or the outside, any other way than starting right here, praying and depending on God. And he shares his power with you. But God shouts, you can't do it alone. How long can you raise your hands alone? Have you ever tried that? Somebody said last service, eight hours. I said, nah, you're lying. <laughs> it was a kid. He's trying to be funny. And here's how I know. Because every night we do family prayers. And for, for a while now, every once in a while, we say, just kind of at a whim, raise your hands while we pray. And so we all raise our hands, and we're going around the circle praying. And I open my eyes, and I watch one by one. <sighs> and then it's me. I'm like, I'm looking for something to grab onto on the wall. I'm a model of this family. I have to keep my hand up. Um, you actually, my hands are tired just doing this right now. You actually can't raise your hands for all that long, right? But here they had, and this is God's point. This is what he's doing in this battle right now. He's demonstrating, hey, as long as your hand with God's staff, relying on God's power, are up. So here comes Aaron and her, and they prop a rock under him, and they hold his hands until the sun goes down. And then they're up there being leaders, relying on God, commissioned Joshua the general to lead the people. Everyone's involved in this with God's power, working together, and they have victory that day. They win, and that's how it works. This is what God is teaching us. And then we see what... After their victory today, they held off the Amalekites. They won. We see what, one, one thing that we say around here a lot, and that is what gets celebrated gets, come on, shout it out, repeated. repeated. Very good. When you see something that you want, you know, good behavior or, or things that you want, you celebrate it. You celebrate it. And what gets celebrated gets repeated. And so in verses 14 and 15, they celebrate this victory twice. See how they do it. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and don't just stick it on the, on, the on the library shelf. Recite it in the ears of Joshua. He's training his general, his, his next leaders. He's writing down, he's recording the victories. And we're going to recite it and remember it. And we're going to draw on that victory and that reliance on God's power for the rest of our lives. Verse 15, and Moses then, he does a second way of celebrating, built an altar. It's hard to forget when you get this big giant pile of rocks that has a name on it. We remember, we remember what God has done so that we'll remember in the next trial and attack. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Let's look first that whole training Joshua thing is very reminiscent of 2 Timothy 2.2. It's one of the key verses in our mission of making disciples. <clears throat> I just completed a four-month men's leadership class with 30 guys. We'll talk about more. We're going to celebrate that very thoroughly. But this was one of the, the memory verses. 2 Timothy 2.2, everything we do, every victory we have, everything we learn, listen to this. This is what we do with it. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so Moses writes it down and shares and recites it to Joshua. And this is what we do to be a healthy community. We're sharing these great victories that when the Lord has delivered us and then builds the altar to always remember. And what does Moses named the altar, the Lord is my banner. How many people have ever done a study of the names of God, of which there are dozens and dozens in Scripture, and remembers what this one's called? Jehovah, 
Nisi, very good. All right. A lot of people over the years I've noticed say this is their favorite one. If you say, what's my favorite name of God? Has anybody ever felt that? Jehovah Nisi. And here's what this banner is. This is a banner. This type of banner is one which is hung as a rallying point. It's hung high. Everybody sees it and looks at it. It's an identity. It's a reminder of who we are, of who we're fighting for, of where we're going, of everything that we are together in, in the battles, following God's direction, with his power. This is very assuring and reassuring in the battles of our lives. This is God. This is who he is. Jehovah Nisi. This is where it comes from. And this is our creed as a healthy community of God. We, re we rely on God's power for all of our battles from the inside and the outside. Rely on him first. Will, so I ask today, as we're developing this creed for us today, will you stand together under the banner of God, ready to face the attacks that are coming inside and outside? Are we going to do that together, Community Grace? Say amen. 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 It's great to be a part of this. Second in our creed that we're going to develop today is a, for a healthy community is that we will witness about God's glory. <clears throat> we will witness about God's glory. You know, God didn't give us life and then salvation for us to just sit and do nothing, right? No, he planted us here. He saved us. He doesn't just take us right to heaven. He gives us this mission to proclaim his glory, to share his truth, to share it about Jesus, and what we see in verses 1 through 12 are an enjoyable account of a family reunion, and we see this in action right here. So here's what happens. I'm not going to read all these verses, but if you remember when Moses, you remember when he fled Egypt in the first place, and he went off to Midian, and he got married to Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro, who was what? The priest of Midian. Okay, so this is, got, this is a high-ranking uh, person in, among the Midianites. Now, who were the Midianites? The Midianites were related to the Amalekites who just attacked Israel. They, were not, they did not fear God. They did not know and worship the one true God. They were opposed to the one true God. So Jethro was a priest in this pagan nation, now, Jethro had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and their two sons to live with him. And you might wonder why. Why did Moses give up his wife and two sons? Well, easy answer. Daddy's at war. He's been at war with Egypt. He's been at war with the Amalekites. But that, those wars are over now. And now it's time for this reunion. So here they come back together again. One really interesting thing that I don't, want to miss is the opportunity is in verse 5. It says, here's where they all were, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Remember that name? If, you, if, you were, if you've been here all year, you remember back to Exodus chapter 3 when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, and he said, this will be a sign to you. You'll return and do ministry for me right here on this mountain. And here they are in this moment right back on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and it's an affirmation of where they are right now. It happened. After a lot of action has passed, here they are. They're on the right track. Moses, now over those, we started with Moses. He was a coward. He didn't have much faith. He didn't have much speaking ability or leadership ability. Boy, has he grown, hasn't he? Now, he is the man. I mean, he's grown. He's matured like, like we all can, and, and God wants us to. And here's Moses now. He couldn't wait to tell everybody about God's glory. And here's what happened, verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, <laughs> and how the Lord had delivered them. And you know... You might have an unbelieving family member, or many of them, and you see each other on Thanksgiving or holidays or just hanging out, and, and you want to tell them that this is what the Lord has done for me. He's delivered me. I just want to tell you about Jesus. And, and you know, sometimes you're, you have the courage to do that and the opportunity, and sometimes people even listen or even trust Jesus. 
but they don't always, do they? No. And it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. But here's Moses. He's fired up, and he tells Jethro, the priest of a pagan nation, all about the one true God. And Jethro believes. And he receives. Let's continue, verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord has done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of Egypt and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Look at this key verse, this statement in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Does that sound familiar? Throughout all the miracles and the plagues and everything else, God repeatedly said, the purpose I'm doing all of these works is this right here, that they may know that I, and the one true God, the only true God, he gets the glory he deserves, and it's better for us that we give it to him. And here's Jethro. He comes to faith. He believes. He receives the one true God. Do you get it? Jethro got it. Have you come to that same faith and receiving God? Verse 12, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, responded with this. He believed, he received, he confessed with his mouth, and then he brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So here comes the faith. This is amazing. This leader in this pagan nation comes to faith. They gather around. They have a small group meeting. They have dinner together and they worship God, and they're talking to each other, and they're, having, they're enjoying this fellowship. They have the, the worship service there. They ate together. And now God has brought in someone into his community of faith, now Jethro, and with him all the skills and knowledge and abilities that he has. You know what? This, these last 60 years of world history has been called the missions era. More people have come to Christ, to faith in Christ, in these last 60 years than all the previous 1940 years since Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, all combined. Three to 5,000 people come to faith in Christ in the world every single day. And every time they do, they enter a community, they congregationalize, become a church family, and they bring with them all the skills and the abilities and influence that they have and all the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, and they enrich the community, and we become a stronger, healthier community, and that's exactly what happens with Jethro. Now, God uses Jethro immediately to bless his people, the community. But here's Moses. He takes the risk. He's telling about God's glory, and he, was, he believed and he was saved from his sin. Now, how, do we, how are we saved from our sin and con, just condemnation before God? We trust in Jesus, right? That's the same way they were saved from their sin in the Old Testament, too. They believed in the one true God and in his promise of salvation through his Messiah, his son. Well, 1,400 years later, Jesus came and fulfilled all the Old Testament but that was still their object of salvation then. And Jethro believed and received that new life. And you know what? This is exactly what Jesus came to do and to preach. And he says in many places, here's one, John 17, 3, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to secure our salvation. So our creed for healthy community includes this. We witness about God's glory because you never know whose time it is according to God's sovereign will who's going to believe and receive new life from Jesus and join the community of faith, God's family. So we will witness about God's glory. This is why we're here. This is the Great Commission. That's Jesus' words. This is why we're here, to go and make disciples, make followers of Jesus everywhere we go in the world. Will everyone just fall on their knees? No. Some will. And they'll join the family. They'll be saved and lifted up and set free. This series is moving the world to freedom. 
So that's why we do this, and that's why we've launched our community care series where we're going to be doing lots of outreach activities in the, in the community and always have open doors in this church and do more and more of that as the months and years progress. This is being a healthy community of faith. Third, then, we will share the ministry work. Meditate on that word for a moment, share. We will share the ministry work. That's right. This is not just for a few people to do. That age-old adage that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Y'all heard that before? Uh, That's very common. That's not what God's talking about. We need to inch our way closer to 100% of the people fully engaged in the work. And I'm going to talk about that right now. And praise God that this church has much more engagement than just 20%. And we're going to celebrate that in just a few minutes, actually. But when we come to organizational structure or teamwork, there are a few passages in the Bible that are turned to more often than this one right here. Chapter Exodus 18, verses 13 through 27. This is one of the go-to passages, and here's why. Right in the second book of the Bible, God instituted organizational dynamics. Now, I've really excited some of you here. You're like, ooh, organizational structure? That's what I'm talking about. And others are like, that is not for me. But it is for you because you're a part of all this. So hang with me here as we look at organizational structure. This, these are the principles that God put in to the human society that churches use, businesses, militaries, sports, schools. Every organization puts these principles into practice for success. Let me demonstrate it this way. I'm going to give you a statement, and you tell me if you agree. The Indianapolis Colts are a great football team. False, immediately. (laughs) Okay, all right, well, this year they're probably not going to be great. How about this? The Indianapolis Colts are a good football team. I think I'll get more agreement with that. How about this? The Indianapolis Colts have a couple great players. Yeah? Does having one or two great players make a great team? In itself, no. What's the place of leaders in a football team? You got coaches, assistant coaches, offensive, defensive coordinators, quarterbacks coaches, running backs coaches, and you have the leaders among the players. What are, what's the role of the, all these leaders in the team? They get all of the players disciplined, working hard, going in the same direction, working together, all of them fully engaged. And that's what makes a great team. This is God's design. It works in sports. It works in business. It works in the church because God made it. All these healthy organizations use it. Often churches are the worst at it. Organizational structure, not this church. Let's look at the text. We start by recognizing the problems, verses 13 through 18. Recognize the problems of not having organizational structure. Verses 13 through 18, I'm going to read. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. Okay, these are things you do once you're settled, not at war. Now you got these inner conflicts. So Moses sits down to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law, remember this, Jethro, who just entered the community of faith in God, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his law. So here's this one guy doing all of the judging, all of the conflict resolution, and all of the teaching. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. 
So here's Moses doing all these good things. And it's not good. It's not good that he's doing it alone. God never intended his work to be done by a handful of people. That's not obeying God. And that results in exhaustion, discouragement, what we call burning out. That's a big thing, burnout. And at the very least, if a handful of people are doing all the work, you're stealing opportunities from everybody else who could or should be doing that work, right? All right, so this is not God's design at all. I've been battling for close to 20 years on this whole dynamic in, in the church, and that is the clergification of the church. That's the word that does not pa- pass spell check when you type it in. <laughs> I've had to add that. Every new computer, I had to add that to the dictionary. The clergification of the church, and here's what it is. A lot of over the centuries of church Doctrine and theology, doctrinal positions have been developed that creates these two types of people, these two classes of people in the church. First, the clergy, and they're the ones who impart everything and do all the work of the ministry, and the laity, which become passive and let the clergy do all the work. Doctrinal positions have created this animal, and it's not biblical, not at all. Not in any part of Scripture, not in Exodus, not in the New Testament, not words of Jesus, nowhere. And so we've been fighting this. We need to empower everybody, train and equip everybody to have a part. This is where organizational structure is so important. It affects all of us. It brings us all in. And look what Jethro said. He said, you're going to wear yourself out and all these people. It doesn't help anybody. We, all of us have these gifts These desires, these callings, we want to contribute, we want to help, we want to obey. And if leadership is doing it all, we're worn out. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for the world as well as we're hindered from being healthy. This is healthy community. Let's look more at what the Bible says. God's command is that the church is... Church leaders' primary job is to equip the people for the ministry. Not to do it all, but to equip. Not to do, to equip. Where do I get that? The most clear statement is from Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. This is the job description of church leadership, plain as day, in black and white ink right here. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, church leaders, for what reason? Not to do all the work of the ministry, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for, and here are the purposes, for the building up of the body so that we're healthy, a healthy body, until we all attain the unity of the faith, all attain the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Everybody shares the work. Do we want any of our leaders to burn out? No, of course not. Do we want anybody that calls this church home to not be engaged or have no idea what they're doing or not be compelled to or equipped or trained to? No, we don't want that either. So here's what to do. Two things. Listen to this. Everybody needs to do these two things. One, whatever ministries you're involved in, have a role in it. Okay? It's just that simple. Ask your leaders how you can help. What's your role in this? Think of new ideas that you can help with. Or maybe you're not involved in that ministry yet, but you have your eye on something where you think you can contribute. It's a, process, it's a wonderful process to determine where can I fit in? Enter that process. Have a role. And then second, pass this message on to everyone on your teams that you get on. Hey, this is for everybody. You be the, the trainers and disciplers. Remember 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. What you've learned now, you teach to other people, will be faithful to teach other people. This is all of us. We share the ministry work. Everybody's engaged. And we'll eradicate these problems at Community Grace. Won't that be sweet? We'll be healthy. Even healthier than now. So we recognize the problems. And now, next... Know the priorities. Here, so what do we focus most on? This is exactly where God goes next, verses 19 and 20. Jethro says, now obey my voice, I will give you advice. 
and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God, and here's what to do. Bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they must walk and what they must do. First thing here, and I've just been amazed. I've been preaching for almost 20 years, and I'm amazed to see Old Testament, New Testament, every genre, every part of the Bible, always the first thing to do, always the first thing to do is what? It's to turn to God. Every time. And yet that's the, like the third or fourth thing we do, isn't it? We always try to do whatever we're doing or fix whatever we're fixing in our own power. Oh, how God says, no, just start with taking it to me. And here it is again, bring their cases to God. That's the first thing we do all day, every day, with everything we're going through and battling or want to do constructively. So bring their cases before God and then warn them. So prayer is number one. First priority, prayer. Cry out to God. Bring our situation to God. Commune with God, all those things. Then number two, I've summarized as teach. If you're taking notes, teach the way, the walk, and the work. The text says, warn and make known. That's good teaching. Warn and make known. Teach what? The way. That's the statutes and laws, and that is that God's laws are our priority. Man's laws are not. God's laws are our priority. That's another way to say it. Man's laws, that's another way to say it. Except when man's laws are following God's laws. We're teaching the statutes and laws, the, the way. Now the walk, that's having the right lifestyle. That's a lifestyle, just the way I live, the walk that I'm walking, it glorifies God. And other people see by the way I'm living and walking the, the glory of God. Is that true about you? I hope so. The way that you live and the work, that is what we all have work to do, specific acts of service that God has prepared for us in advance, Ephesians 2.10. He's created you, he's saved you through your faith in Jesus, and he's given you the work to do that he's prepared before the creation of the world for you to do. It's your joy to discover what that is and to do the work. And it's great, and that's how we thrive, individually and as a community. So those are the problems and the priorities for a healthy community. And next we come to the climax. Here's the climax of it all. We put all this into place and into action. Organize the members. We organize. All the members of the community, all the members of the team, the Indianapolis Colts, they all got to be working together, all fully engaged. The organization, the body, the family, God uses all those metaphors. Yes, all, every piece, every part, every person, they're all needed, and it starts with leadership. Look at verse 21 of chapter 18. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God. He's going to give three character qualities of leadership. Fear God, trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs, or let's just say leaders, of a thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So we have character. Character matters. It's important. What a blessing it is to have leaders who don't mistreat people, right? Who are not selfish. Who are not mean and brawlers. Try to manipulate. People who aren't control freaks. People who have backbone. Who lead us according to God's word. What a blessing strong leaders are. Amen? Now, those are in place, and they have different competencies. you got people that lead the whole organization, these middle, big groups, and small groups of every kind, and they're all engaged. Place those people in charge. Now, all the people are engaged, led according to, their, to a gift set, and led relationally. This is organizational structure. God put this in to the human plan. D.L. Moody got it right when he said, I would rather put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. It's pretty good, right? That's God's structure. And it's a blessing to everyone. And we have that very thing at Community Grace. On the screen right now is something that you can't read. We determined that last service. But this is what it is. This is our church's organizational structure. We have this here. 
We've been working on this. It's great. It's not a graph like some organizational charts are. This is more of a list. And Scott figured out how to blow it up in the last service so we can actually read it. Way to go, Scott. We're going to give the production team props here in a little bit. All right, so go back up to the top if you can. And this is always fluid, but here we have uh, the areas that I oversee, and you'll see a lot of the people uh, on the organization in parentheses. we got a lot of leaders here. Sean does youth ministry and a variety of other things. Heather Faust, our children's ministry director. Sean and Heather both have an army of volunteers, and they both are very good at, at having their, their layers of structure uh, well-equipped. Office is working great under Alex's leadership and Tammy's support. Amy and Tristan do a fantastic job leading our worship ministry, again, with lots of volunteers in all these departments. That's where production comes in and everything else. Kevin Lancaster oversees the deacons, which is a big team that do a lot of things. And then back up to the top, Ed Boggs oversees the trustees, logistics, campus, Facilities, Jan Salzgiver oversees hospitality ministries, greeters, usher, security team. You've got Chris Rager and Aaron Turner have been doing this for a long time and their, their teams. You've got all this structure and the army of volunteers in each one. Steve Clayson oversees fiscal, Bob Salzgiver, communities of training, Christian education, and janitorial. Zach Stichter just took over the Father's Heart Ministry this year. Janine Kinsey, I just want to say thank you for filling in the gap in the Mission Commission and then men's and women's ministry, we are looking for leaders right now. God is growing those areas of our church. Did I say that we're looking for leaders of those ministries? Just making sure. Okay. <laughs> Praying for that. And then the elders, Mike Fisher, Jose Lara, Rick DeBoost, Doug Buller, Matt Starrett, Scott Long. If you are on this list anywhere, would you please stand up? We have just finished. The, yeah, go ahead, and give a, go ahead and give them a big thank you. Round of applause. Praise God. We just finished the 2020-2021 ministry year last week, and this is perfect timing to say thank you to our leaders. Lots more whose names aren't on that list, and so thank you all for, for using your influence here. The second group I want to thank are the leaders of the smaller groups, which we'll call small groups. All right, we have 14 small groups. These are the environments where church happens actually in relationships. This is where shepherding and care bearing each other's burdens, rejoicing with those, eating together. All those things happen relationally. We have 14 small groups this year. Some are co-led, so we've got about 20 small group leaders. If you're on this picture right now, would you please stand up? And we're going to thank you for pouring out personally this year. Now let's honor everyone who served in any way in the 2020-2021 ministry year, if you did anything, served on a team, discipled someone, cared for someone ever, shared your faith in Jesus, did anything at all for Jesus at all the whole year, stand up, everybody, stand up. Come on, everybody, stand up. Okay, thank you so much for that. Sorry to interrupt your comfortable seat. But that was important to do, and praise God for a great 2020-2021 ministry year. And God can do exponentially more than that in 2021-2022. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we share this work. That's this point. We share it. Everybody's involved. Everybody's valuable. If you have a small mission, you don't need a lot of leaders and you don't need everybody participating, but God has given us the biggest mission of anything else, of all missions in the entire world. Jesus called it the great co-mission with him. It's Jesus' mission to bring all the world to the opportunity to be set free from sin, pain, judgment, everything, through Jesus Christ. This is the biggest mission in the world. And so he gives us this. He gives us this wisdom and this structure. And Jethro tells us in verse 23 what will happen if we are healthy like this. Verse 23. If you do this, 
God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. Do we want those things, Community Grace? We do. We do. And God just gave us the way there. I just want to report halfway through this year, we've called 2021 the year of creating vision for the future of Community Grace. There's a vision team. We've been working, researching, praying for God's clarity uh, for the future of Community Grace. And we're going to roll all that out in January 2022. It's, I just want to report halfway through this year, it's been an amazing process and a lot of incredible things have happened along the way. And that's all I'll say right now, halfway through the year. Just keep, please keep praying for this whole process. And I can't wait to, to roll it all out in January, whatever God puts together. But our next steps for today are this. First, I said we've been putting together this creed. Let's say this out loud together today. If you, I mean, this is what we're going to say just for today. These are the commitments that God has led us to with this passage of Scripture today. Uh, would you please just say this with me, if you, if you believe it, and, uh, and agree to it. Here we go. We, Community Grace, will worship God and rely on His power. We, Community Grace, will witness about God's glory. We, Community Grace, will share the ministry work. God will be glorified and Christ will be exalted and we'll be healthy. Praise God. Again, the fruit of last year can be multiplied next year in the next ministry year, 2021, 2022. But first we have this little thing called the summer. Isn't the summer the best? How many people love summer the most? You're my people. All right, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I love summer and it's... I, I urge you and encourage you to take the rest and the break that the summertime affords. It's healthy. It's healthy for your longevity. It's healthy for the church community. Uh, but we're still going to be active, very active this summer. So here's some of the plans that we have for this summer. And this is next step number two. Identify your community grace activities this summer. <clears throat> What's going on? Lots of things. How can we be engaged in a lot of ways? Here are just a few First, membership class. We do this about every three or four months. It's coming up this Saturday. Two-hour class. It's very engaging. Lots of good snacks. And uh, this Saturday morning in the fellowship hall, 9 to 11, I'd invite everybody who's not a member to come and hear all about who we are, our history, our doctrine, where we're going, meet the staff, meet, meet some leadership. And church membership is valuable, and it's the ultimate level of committing to the church and having the church commit to you. And so I encourage you to take every advantage of that as we partner together, challenge each other, stand against the attacks together. That's where it's at. That's this Saturday morning, and please RSVP for that on your communication card or email the church office or the website. You can fill out the form, especially for child care. We'd, we'd like to know if we need to provide that. I also want to announce that the elders have decided we're going to have designated elders for all the church members. If you're a member of Community Grace or become one, you'll be appointed a designated elder who's going to reach out to you every month, text, email, dinner over, whatever, that, whatever it is each month, and just check up on you and find out if you're fully engaged, cared for by Community Grace. That's for members, and I love that. That's elder shepherding at its finest. So just wanted to announce that. That's very fun. Okay, men, the Conquer series. I've been talking about this. Well, I'll actually show a video next week. But you can, this is an opportunity for men to get together every Thursday night this summer, starting on June 24th, I believe, um, 7 to 8.30. The men are going to come together, and this is for everybody. This is every man uh, from high school up or a mature middle schooler. Come on Thursday nights. This is the battle plan for purity this is the premier attack against manhood, and we're going to stand strong with each other on that. Now, you might say, well, I can't make all 10 meetings. I don't think anybody can make all 10 meetings in the summertime. So I'm just going to declare, come to however many you can. Just come, sign up, so we know to be prepared. And I'll talk more about that next week, like I said. 
Okay, women, this one word says it all. Wow. I love it. Our women's ministry is developing. Women of Worth is a movement this summer. Check your bulletin and, and some other announcements of the things going on this summer for our women. Lots of opportunities coming and here for women to connect. Youth, young people, 909 Student Ministries, and all the adults who will volunteer. We have launched the summer schedule, and that's the man right there leading it all, Tyler Eckel, under the fine mentorship of Sean Mason, of course. I saw your Facebook post today. Check out that post. That was really cool. He's been pouring into Tyler's life for years, and Tyler's in charge of the summer. And Mel and Cindy Regeer's small group, I just found this out, cooked the meal for last week's summer kickoff. That's a church family being a church family, everybody. I want to celebrate that. Summer schedule, last but not least, is our all-hands-on-deck biggest community outreach this summer, soccer camp. That's the last week of July, and there's a place and a need for everyone to participate in some way. These uh, needs, inserts, and opportunities were in the bulletin the last two weeks. They're not in there this week, but there's a stack of them on the, on the connections table out there. If you haven't signed up yet, here's all the ways you can be involved. But right now, we're going to invite our community. Our goal is to have hundreds of kids on our campus sprawled out all over the grass out there um, this whole week with this soccer camp outreach. It's going to be fantastic. we got some heavy soccer influencers in our community. Uh, really, really, really cool. Now we need to invite the whole community. Like Sean asked earlier, how many people have kids in your neighborhood at all? Any kids in your neighborhood? Think about it. Oh, yeah, I know that. Our goal is this week, here's our mission, is to get every one of those households an invitation to soccer camp this week. We probably have 10 houses in our neighborhood with kids in it. We're just going to deliver this invitation to all of them, pray and see if they'll come. Uh, it's going to be a first-class event. Would you join me in this mission this week? This is a great thing for us all to be unified and do all over our community. I was told to say there's a Spanish version. It wasn't printed. It didn't come out this weekend. It'll be out every weekend after this or in the office this week. The summertime. All right. That's our mission this week. Let's pray. It feels like summer up here right now. I don't know about you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, first of all, and we depend on you, and, and we thank you that you share all that you share with us. You're so gracious, and we're so rebellious. But when we turn to you, oh, Lord, we're so grateful that you're always there. You never leave. You never forsake us. So we worship you today together, and now we look in your word, and, and you've given us all this wisdom and care and provision I pray that nobody takes this for granted, nobody rejects you, but that we come together. And since we're not perfect, that we offer a lot of forgiveness along the way and a lot of support. And now we're going to turn our hearts. We just ask you to bless this summer and the future of our, of our church family that you've generously blessed us with and, and bless our community with as we reach out. But now we're going to respond in singing, giving, fellowship, meeting new people, all for your glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.